Berenham Sports. Hello and welcome to Sportscast on 92.6 FM on your Saturday evening, 6 through 7 o'clock. Each and every single week, the team behind the award-winning Verum Sports will debate, dissect and analyse an important sporting topic. Ordinarily, that's of your choosing. And this is always your show, so continue to keep involved with us. Tweet at Verum Sports. But this week, because it's an international football weekend, we thought we would uh, just take a little bit of a uh, England managerial perspective And we're going to do a special this week, looking into our favourite England footballers all time. Now, the key word there is favourite. This doesn't necessarily mean the ones that we think are the best. We've already done our favourite England 11s. Do check that out on a previous podcast available on the uh, podcast tab of the award-winning Radio Verulam website. But no, we are drilling into and excited to do so our favourite all-time England footballers. I know you've got opinions on this one. Who's your fave? Is it a Steve McManaman, a Paul Ince, a Gaza? Who is your all-time favourite England footballers? Get involved. Tweet at Verulam Sports. International Football Weekend, hence this week's topic of debate. And that means there's no Premier League action this weekend, but always throughout the Premier League season, we're also encouraging you to engage with us in our Premier League prediction leagues. And I tell you, it's all change. Just a quick reminder of the rules. If you get the exact scoreline prediction in any game throughout the Premier League season, chalk yourself up three points. And I know that's usually you because you are a punditry guru. I know you are. If you get the right result, but maybe you're not quite accurate on the scoreline, give yourself one point. No point. Nothing in this game if you get the uh, scoreline totally wrong. But I know that won't be you. I know. You get them right every week, don't you? Put us to the test. Tweet us at Verlum Sports. No Premier League action this weekend, but it runs throughout the season. Tweet us at Verlum Sports every Premier League weekend with your scoreline predictions. Now, based on those rules... Three points for the exact correct scoreline. One point for the right result, but maybe he's out by a goal or two. Nilbois, if you get it completely inaccurate, there's all change in the Verum Sports Predictions League. And still in last place, but it's terribly tight with us all. Neil Stock has 45 points. The voice of the Saints, Graham Griffin. Check him out in live commentary of the Saints all season long on your red button. Has... 48 points. Uh, yours truly, Tony Rice, alongside the ace man, Matthew Turvey, are locked in joint second on 53 points. But uh, to the top of the table rises the machine, Jason McKenna, who had an absolute barnstorming performance last weekend. He has 54 points in top of the tree at this moment in time. And with that being said, it feels appropriate to welcome to the show our friend, the machine, Jason McKenna. Awesome punditry work last weekend round. Uh, thank you, Tony. It's always a pleasure to be on here. Now, I think some people will notice that I've been absent the last couple of weeks, and this isn't through want 
or any good reason apart from actually my computer being broken. The machine had let the machine down in many aspects there. But, you know, as you mentioned, they're positive mood for me at the moment. Just had my birthday. Uh, and I suppose one of the gifts from myself to myself was getting a really good score in the Prediction League. But also, we've got a gift of a great chat tonight. Favourite England players, you know, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of positivity here. And the social media, once again, has not let us down, Tony, with some great choices here. Uh, John has mentioned Paul Gascoigne, Gaza, uh, and some great memories there attached to a player who was a real maverick on and off the pitch, you know, making some great headlines, but also some not good ones. Sarah has mentioned the previous goal-scoring record holder of Gary Lineker. Anthony or Ant has mentioned uh, John Barnes. Michael has mentioned his own namesake, Mr. Michael Owen. And then Richard mm -hmm. has said John Charles, Laurie Cunningham, Viv Anderson, Paul Ince, or Laurie Adoje being positive history makers. And I suppose that not t uh, nicely ties in to what has been Black History Month. You know, some real positive history makers there are being the, the black English players, uh, proudly wearing the three lines on their shirt there. And we've got some great positive English players in there as well, Tony. But what do you think about those great shouts there from our listeners on social media? Yeah, absolutely. And I continue to urge you to get involved. Remember, it's your show every bit as much as it is ours. So to continue to tweet your favourite England footballers all time, tweet at Verulam Sport or email us to sport at radioverulam.com. Keep involved. Love that selection. I was tempted, Jason, I was tempted to pick Gascoigne uh, for my favourite England player. And quite frankly, he probably is. Uh, everybody remembers Euro 96 and all that. What a renaissance it was for Gaza. I actually maintain um, he is the most talented natural footballer that this country has ever produced. And I'm sure that's a sentiment echoed by many. Um, but we already had him, didn't we, in our all-time favourite England eleven from an ancient, ancient uh, podcast, but it's still available. Check that out on the archives under the um, podcast section of the Radio Verum website. Uh, we've profiled our uh, all-time England 11s. And Gascoigne, I believe, was the only man who was unanimous in our uh, Verum Sports team's selections. So that just speaks volumes, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, he was, I think, my favourite player. But again, we're just changing the dynamic because we're taking that word favourite here a little tongue-in-cheekedly in a way. We're not suggesting best players, as I think Gascoigne eminently is, but favourites. And I tell you what, accordingly, um, some of those key players referenced um, for the, uh, you know, the likes of Paul Ince and so many others who over the years have uh, fought bravely for their country and oftentimes, sadly, against a wave of prejudice uh, to rise to the highest level. Definitely, definitely great shouts there. Michael Owen's an interesting one mentioned by one of our great listeners. So, yeah, injury ravaged and meant that Owen never quite fulfilled that glittering early potential. Uh, but an interesting shout. Not one of my favourites. He's certainly one of the most uh, talented strikers, uh, particularly in his youth. But some brilliant, brilliant suggestions there, as always, from our listeners. And again, a reminder, 
keep involved with us. We love to hear from you. And I know you've got amazing opinions on your favourite England footballers. All time, keep involved. Tweet at Verum Sports. Or, of course, you can email us to sport at radioverum.com and do maintain involvement. But now, Jason, I want to hand across to you for your first personal selection. Not necessarily best footballer for England, but you're one of your favourites. Who you got for us? Yeah, Tony, and I like this because it's a bit different. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia and positive sentiment added to these that maybe, you know, might not be with others. And this is why I've gone for these two players that I've selected tonight. And the first one that I had to go with was Mr. DB7, David Beckham. Uh, he's got so many great memories attached to me watching football as a youngster. This is probably why I didn't go with, you know, somebody like Bobby Charlton, because frankly, you know, I know he's an amazing player, but I don't have any memories of him as a footballer. Mm -hmm. Whereas David Beckham was the, the captain of my generation of fans. You know, he was one person as well that transcended the rivalry of Manchester United and Arsenal. And this is another reason why he, I included him, because at the time, I genuinely hated Manchester United, everything that mm -hmm. they were, the fans, uh, the the club, the, the football that they played, Ferguson, the lot. You know, I couldn't find any good thing about them, apart from one person, David Beckham. And then he seemed to be a positive light in it all. And almost a vindication of that was when he left Manchester United as mm -hmm. well. You know, oh, well, he's out of that sphere. He never was truly Man United. You know, that's what I would tell myself as a young football fan. But as I said, the rivalry between these two sides was very real. But I could see on the field, off the, the field, he was a classy individual. And in yeah. those young years, you know, he made some errors. I remember in 98, he was kind of seen as enemy number one. 2000, he, the, the team didn't do too well. But his heyday really kind of came to the fore in 2002. He was captain at that point, And really, he became captain fantastic. The all-important goal that springs to my mind is that one against Greece for, for qualification. Yep. Absolutely stunning. It just took your breath away. But there were so many games, so many moments like that from David Beckham. And, and what I liked was he was an in true embodiment of the word captain on the mm -hmm. field. He gave his all. And, and what I loved as well is quite often, and this is very rare, he would yep. often put England ahead of his club, of club football. He would always make himself available or try to, you know, there's the stories between different managers and whatnot uh, picking him. But the story was for me was he was somebody that really, truly wanted to play for his country. He was almost more honoured to play for England than Real Madrid, Man United, mm -hmm. AC Milan, PSG. And we forget all the amazing plethora of clubs that he played for and others that were like knocking at his door. Beckham was was absolutely amazing. And as a young kid, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I wanted to look like him and play like him. Mm. You know, I wanted the Beckham haircut when he had it one style, then the other. Uh, 
my thankfully with some of the hairstyles my family said no you can't have that <laughs> but more did often it, did it quite get the mohawk did you no i didn't get the mohawk or the um what was the other one the the kind of crow crow's feet like in my hair the, yeah that one i didn't get any of those but you know his much better haircuts uh were, were kind of allowed in in the mckenna household but also, you know, whatever boots he was wearing that week, whatever kind of, you know, sportswear, that was the yep. kind of go-to have. And and in many ways as well, I tried to base some of the, the areas of my young footballing game around Beckham. I loved his, his whipped cross. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I loved his ability to get the assist. And I tried to be kind of selfless when I was on the pitch. But most of all, and I've mentioned it already, those free kicks. I always wanted to bend it like Beckham, you know, as the mm. film title was. But as the idiotism goes in terms of football, bending it like Beckham was the, the dream. And I used to spend hours in the back garden trying to replicate that swerve, that brilliance. So for yeah. me, David Beckham was more than just kind of a football on the pitch. He, he was kind of a role model as well. But I think... For me, the, the big heartbreaking moment was obviously seeing him retire. But I think the way he retired, there was almost a lack of respect from England managers. I remember Steve McLaren tried to kind of be almost too big for his boots and, and push Beckham out the door prematurely. And thankfully, Fabio Capello welcomed him back. But what added insult to my memory of, of Capello was there was never this final game that we saw with Wayne Rooney. You know, this... Even if it had been a friendly, just you know, give him that trot out for a few minutes. But he was he was still at the top of European football until 2013. But he was forcibly retired in 2010 by Fabio Capello. You know, he explained that the future of England's right hand side was Walcott and unfortunately Adam Johnson. That was the person that he mentioned at the time, and we know how well that one went down. But until 2013, he played yep. AC Milan and Paris Saint-Germain. And um, let's not forget that Paris Saint-Germain at this time were a flush with cash. They didn't need Beckham there, but sure. he, he was of the quality. So, you know, this seemed to me at the time in 2010 was Fabio Capella was almost trying to, to put a, a blanket statement from the fact that there was a poor World Cup performance and Beckham seemed to get the blame and I don't think that it was his I still think that he had a bit of a role for me mm. uh, maybe I'm blindsided by my favouritism towards him but I remember mm. at the time people were disgusted you know Beckham wasn't being given respect and a rightful uh, send off and then I think the last nail in the disrespectful coffin to him was he had the opportunity to represent Great Britain, so not necessarily England, but Great Britain, at the 2012 Olympics. I thought, that's a perfect opportunity for Beckham to maybe bow out totally from football. You know, at London, yep. the home Olympics, and I lost a lot of respect for Stuart Pearce when he didn't even pick him as part of the squad. You know, even if he'd been a bit part player, yep. it would have been such a boost, that home tournament. People would love to have seen him turn out at Wembley for one last time. So David Beckham for me, so skillful, a real mm -hmm. leader on and off the pitch, but also I think his, his legacy a little bit ruined as well by managers almost trying, I think to be too hip and, and forward thinking by thinking that David Beckham wasn't of any use. And I think that that was a lack of actually seeing the value of him 
mm-hmm. as a captain and as a player. I, I don't know what you think on that one, Tony. Well, first and foremost, I think it's a tremendous shout in terms of England's, uh, you know, our favourite players. And I think he is going to certainly feature in that amongst so many people. Jason, I love the fact that you've uh, kind of encapsulated the immense character that he showed in going from a pariah after he was uh, red carded in the uh, uh, France 98 uh, against in, in the Argentinian game, he was persona non gratis. The media was a frenzy, and to rise like a phoenix from that moment to becoming England's captain, and again, as you say, um, that goal against Greece. Um, oftentimes, Jason, we've had many conversations about England's football lacking character, perhaps not having that um, kind of carpe diem. Um, inspiration. Well, you do not get any more come off the hour, come off the man than that, do you? Literally, the last kick of the game, and Captain Fantastic scores a worldy free kick, one of his specials, that meant that England, by the skin of their teeth, qualified um, for the um, the Euros that year. Um, you know what? I just think he's such an uh, ambassador, and I sometimes feel as though he's a victim of his own kind of fame in many ways and I think perhaps that might have been the subtext whether consciously or subconsciously in what you referenced there towards the end of his uh, career with regards to managers almost wanting to uh, impose their vision and remove maybe the distractions that is brand Beckham so you know again I feel as though that whilst I give immense credit for having the vision and the hard work and the skill to become such a potent brand, the kind of showbiz element towards it may have, towards to a degree, skewered people's perceptions of Beckham as a really, really good, world-class footballer. I mean, Jason, again, it was a wonderful homage you paid to David. But it is phenomenal. Up until recently, when Wayne Rooney surpassed his record, he was England's most capped all-time outfield player with 115 caps and 17 goals to his name at international level. And I love the fact, Jason, that he spread his wings. He's broadened his horizons. He took his game to all different levels in different countries. In fact... Beckham stands alone as the only Englishman to win a league title in four countries. And again, I understand the business of football and the cynics will suggest that maybe he was every inch as valuable to the Galacticos of Madrid, um, the money men at Paris Saint-Germain, of course, AC Milan too. Um, Every bit as valuable for the offshoots of Brand Beckham as what he delivered on the pitch. However, I think that's ultimately, I think that's actually naive and deeply, deeply flawed and cynicism taken to a different, I would suggest, actually a horrible degree. These are footballing behemoths. They're footballing giants. And he found himself a key member of the Galacticos. He was instrumental at AC Milan. And, you know, he is such... Uh, a quality player. Uh, and, you know, 
Van Nistelrooy, for instance, said there would not be any other player on the world that he would rather have crossing the ball for him than David Beckham. And, you know, his efforts, his energy, his will, again, to use that word, to kind of recognise his footballing limitations, but really maximise his rare gifts to such a degree was truly, truly astonishing. I think he is an absolutely astonishing, not only footballer, but human being. And I think there's an awful lot of lessons for us all uh, in the David Beckham story. Not all of us, of course, can go on to be England captain or this and that. But it is just his uh, application allied to talent and sort of his vision as well that I think is so phenomenal. So, Jason, I really, really love the David Beckham shout. And I'm going to just ask you this quickly, slightly inserting tongue into cheek here. I often wondered whether David Beckham kind of to a degree stole the life of Jamie Redknapp, who obviously was at Liverpool and, uh, you know, perennial title contenders, but never really won anything. Uh, A good looking guy in his own right, a bit of a free kick merchant, uh, although no, not maybe at Beckham's level. And then he was touted to be an England captain and he married a 1990s a female uh, pop group star in Louise. So it almost felt to me like David Beckham took that model and sort of souped it up to another level. So I'll take your uh, marrying uh, Louise and I'm going to marry one of the Spice Girls. I recognise <laughs> that you're pretty guard that aren't good at free kicks, Jamie, and I'll, you know, I'll be so special at those that I'll get one that we've already chatted deeply about, Jason. Uh, for instance, that epic one for England against Greece. And, you know, he'll travel the world and win titles aplenty. Again, tongue firmly in cheek, but just for your thoughts on that slightly, uh, I guess, silly concept. <laughs> it's a really fascinating. It's, it's almost like uh, something that you'd hear from a comic book or something, you know, uh, opposite world. And what would have happened if uh, or almost maybe a sci-fi kind of storyline of what would have happened in a butterfly effect if you'd made one slightly different kind of scenario. And, and this maybe is the, the bargain Beckham in Jamie Redknapp and, and maybe more tongue-in-cheekedly so is maybe he ruined it by then eventually signing for Tottenham Hotspur. Maybe that was the main problem there was his his association with uh, with the Spurs rather than somebody great like AC Milan or, or going to the MLS. But yeah, no, that there's undoubtedly... It, it, the the story of Beckham is almost the perfect storm of of brilliance. Yeah. You know, he married the '90s icon of Victoria Beckham, and at the time she was actually a bigger star than him. You know, then mm. he became England captain, Manchester United's blue-eyed boy. Then he went over to the Galacticos. He basically almost reinvented the MLS because not since probably the um the the New York Cosmos had there been such yep. a big star in America and at his peak as well you know arguably uh, evidenced by the fact that he still went back to Europe AC Milan twice and PSG that Beckham wasn't messing about in the MLS he was there for the long haul and and I think you know adding to maybe the the red nap thing is I think if it's him personally, if it's his wife or somebody that's helping him manage it. But Beckham seems to have a really good business insight. You know, he had 
a lot of people laughed about it, but his own underwear line and becoming a model in that. And at the time, it was a joke, but then people would go, oh, are you wearing the the David Beckham briefs? And that became a a synonymous image with him. Then he, he ran his own soccer schools, and I think that was something that a lot of people had tried before. But because mm-hmm. it had the Beckham name to it, it became something else. And then, yeah, he's become this global ambassador, but also he's now running his own football club in the MLS. He had the yep. foresight to think in his contract, I'm going to actually get my own club so that when I retire, I've got something else to move on to. You know, there's this kind of unfair stereotype of Beckham almost being this mild mannered, almost silly idiotic person but actually I think he's one of the cleverest shrewdest football people that we've ever seen you know he's up there with the Ronaldos and the Messis in terms of global popularity and he's capitalized that at every turn so you know Jamie Redknapp he's done a fantastic job on Sky Sports but Beckham is definitely a an elite version he's he's seen Redknapp and he's gone I can improve on that by quite a bit (laughs) Would love your thoughts on David Beckham. He's one of our favourite England players. Is he one of yours? Uh, what are your Beckham memories? Do you think that the Rasmataz and the brand Beckham does diminish his overall footballing uh, legacy? Are you on par with Jason and I, who maintain that perhaps that we he doesn't receive enough credit, um, both for his trailblazing approach to life and lifestyle, and also his footballing gifts. Keep involved with us. Tweet at Verum Sport. Email us, sport at radioverum.com. Keep involved also with any other of your favourite England footballers all time. Not necessarily best, but favourite England footballers all time. Because, of course, it is International Footballing Weekend this weekend. Moving, though, now to my first pick on my own personal favourite England footballer. Now, I've got to say, Jason slightly cheating here in many ways because I think you were dead right in one of your earlier ways to frame your introduction to David Beckham in the sense that you know he's a player that you enjoyed watching and in many ways tried to mimic or replicate stylistically in kind of a bit of a a role model Uh, my first choice here is a man that I've seen lots of images of seen lots of video footage of uh, he is a hero and he is indeed a knight of the realm. But I never saw Sir Jeff Hurst play. However, as I'm going to explain now, he has every right to be one of the best footballers of all time. And he's certainly, accordingly, one of my favourites. So my first choice tonight in our discussion of favourite England footballers is Sir Jeff Hurst, who remains the only man, the only man in footballing history to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final in the famous 1966 final at Wembley Stadium in July of 1966. His hat-trick heroics saw England victorious in a 4-2 win over West Germany. But his career was consistently uh, kind of stellar and prolific. 49 caps for England. He finished with 24 goals, almost a goal every other game which is very strong indeed, uh, particularly at the international arena. He uh, would have a career which began with the Hammers of West Ham in 58. He would make 411 appearances for the, uh, West Ham, scoring 180 goals. He had a tenure at Stoke, taking in uh, briefly a loan spell in Cape Town, 
uh, ending his career in uh, England with West Brom. And then he'd become a bit of a globetrotter, to which I have massive respect for him, playing for a time at Cork Celtic and ending up a la David Beckham in the um, original version of the MLS out in the States. And an overall career record of 561 league appearances and 228 goals. As I mentioned, his career would begin at West Ham and he would go on to score 180 goals in 411 league games for the Hammers. And as I mentioned, an impressive 242 goals in 500 games overall for the London club. Again, pushing a goal every other game. He would help West Ham claim the FA Cup in 64 and the European Cup Winners' Cup the following year. He would then go on to play domestically for Stoke and also West Brom before, as I mentioned, globetrotting with stints out in Cork, Celtics and Seattle um, Sounders. As well as his World Cup heroics, which I'm going to document in a moment, he had played for England just shy of 50 times and 49 occasions, again, bagging those 24 goals for his country. Tell you what, Sir Jeff Hurst had football in his blood. His father, Charlie, played professionally at Bristol Rovers, Oldham and Rochdale. And I love this. The young Jeff was so focused on football that as a youngster, teenager, he was fined one pound. Now, I know that sounds just like a princely sum, just a pound in our modern context. Uh, back in the sort of 50s, that was actually quite a hefty fine. But yeah, just find a pound, check this, for disturbing the peace. And the cause of this peace disturbance was the fact that he would be consistently kicking a ball and working on his technique, but it would oftentimes find itself in his neighbour's garden. So I'm sure many of us over our, t- uh, our youth and our uh, time trying to emulate our footballing stars have done something similar. <laughs> I can but- relate. First got slapped with a pound fine for that uh, youthful uh, endeavours. He signed for West Ham originally as an apprentice at 15. He was actually originally more of a midfielder. Um, However, his fate, and ultimately, and I would suggest, thankfully, the fate of England pivoted when the legendary West Ham manager, Ron uh, Greenwood, recognised her talent, but considered him not to be strong enough defensively to truly develop into a top midfielder. So Greenwood converted the young Jeff into a striker or centre-forward. The, uh, the 64 FA Cup Finals all-time classic, uh, which West Ham would claim, coming from behind twice to beat Preston North End 3-2. And a Hurst header was actually the second equaliser in that FA Cup classic. The following year, West Ham and Hurst would then go on to bag um, the European Cup Winners' Cup in 65, beating TSV 1860 Munchen in that final. But it was, of course, that year, the year 1965 into 66, which will always be the key one in the Hurst career, as well as World Cup success. And again, more of that in just a moment. Um, he would also enjoy successes at Stoke, and uh, in 1974, a bit later, he helped the Potters to a fifth place league co- uh, finish. That was actually his highest league finish. And he would fire the Potters to 11 goals in 41 games. Um, but just circling back 
to that year of 66, um, which was, of course, cement his true iconic status. Uh, he made his England debut, um, well, connectively against West Germany on the 23rd of February 1966. A few short months later, he'd be beating West Germany in a World Cup final. Uh, he impressed in this performance against the West Germans and then performed reasonably well in matches against Scotland and Yugoslavia, which saw him secure a place in Sir Alf Ramsey's World Cup squad. But he only performed in sort of mediocre level in the final warm-up matches before the tournament against Finland and Denmark. And so he wasn't actually able to break into that starting 11. Now, Jason, I'm sure you can remember, I'm sure many listeners also recall, we've heaped massive praise on uh, one of England's all-time most prolific goal scorers, Jimmy Greaves, who was the strike man up front, the main man, um, and who, who partnered Roger Hunt up front for all three of the group games uh, of England in that World Cup uh, tournament, uh, the three opponents in that group, Uruguay, Mexico and France. Um, but it was in that last game against the French that Jimmy Greaves would be somewhat targeted rather viciously and suffered a massive gash to his leg that meant he was unfit for the quarterfinal versus Argentina. Tragedy for Greaves, as we've referenced, he couldn't make his way back into the team. Um, Ramsey sticking faith with Hurst and um, Hunt and never actually received a medal accordingly until many years after the fact. So again, a bit of a tragedy for Jimmy Greaves, but always in life, when doors open for some, they or close for some, they open for another. And one has to give massive, massive credit for the way um, that he totally seized and maximised that opportunity. Um, Hurst would actually get the winner in the quarterfinal, a real hard-fought 1-0 win um, against uh, Portugal. And then Hurst and Hunt were, as I say, retained for the um, semi-final, which saw Bobby Charlton goal get England to that famous World Cup final. As I say, Greaves was restored to full fitness. There was a media kind of movement to get him back into the team. A bit of a, a lot of pillorying on Alf Ramsey, a lot of pressure on Sir Alf Ramsey to get Greaves back. But whilst that was harsh on Greaves, as we've referenced, in a way, credit must go to Ramsey, who kept that winning team and that winning habit spilled over into Hurst's heroics of the final. Look, we've documented loads of times England's one and only World Cup triumph. Uh, it's been in a previous podcast in which we chat through 75 years of sporting history. Do check that out on the podcast tab of the Radio Verulam uh, award-winning website. So I don't want to go into too much details of this epic final, but you know what? It was a bona fide classic. It is enshrined in world football folklore. And of course, as I say, Hurst remains today the only man ever to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. You cannot do any better than that. The game was watched by 96,924 people in Wembley, packed crowd and a TV audience that remains at a record uh, viewer numbership of 32.3 million people. Um, again, the Germans did take the lead 
uh, but it would be Hurst to claim the first of his hat-trick goals to level it up. Hurst was actually instrumental in all four goals, as well as scoring three. He had a deflective effort, which found its way to Martin Peters, who put England 2-1 up. Of course, the Germans were always going to keep battling right to the death, and they scored a late equaliser, which, of course, forced that famous extra time. In the first period of extra time, Hurst would score his second of the game, second of a hat-trick, and it remains one of the most controversial goals ever. As I say, Jason, we've documented this before, but Alan Boyle would cross it. It would find its way to Hurst, who's powerful right for effort, beat the goalkeeper, uh, Hans Tikowski, um, but it would hit the crossbar and loiter on the line. The goal was given, crucially, by Swiss referee um, Gietfried Diest. So it's all academic now. It's in the history books. It's in the bank, so to speak. Uh, but we did report previously, modern technology shows that only 97% of the ball for, <laughs> for that her second goal, only 97% of the ball crossed the line. So by the letter of the law, shouldn't have counted. But it's all academic. It's all in the books. Now, with the Germans battling and pushing to find another equaliser, Hurst West Ham teammate Bobby Moore, the captain, would splay a beautiful pass to him uh, in pace. He would field it in his stride and fire home for a hat-trick. And there were fans, of course, famously rushing onto the pitch. To paraphrase from the great commentator Kenneth Walton Holm, it was now over. A hat-trick for Hurst, the only hat-trick, as I say, in World Cup finals, saw England claim a 4-2 win to lift the Jules Remy Cup. And as we've noted on many occasions, the only major honour in international football. Uh, Hurst's legacy includes being immortalised in a 2003 The Champions statue featuring West Ham World Cup winners himself, Bobby Moore and Martin Peters and Ray Wilson. He was quite rightly knighted in 1998 and in 2004 was enshrined to the England Football Hall of Fame. So whilst I never had the privilege or the pleasure of witnessing Jeff in action live, I think for all those reasons, he's got to be one of my all-time favourite England players. Jason, your thoughts on the legendary, the iconic Sir Jeff Hurst? I think the story of Jeff Hurst is a really fascinating one because you know, it's a real product of what ifism and universal coincidence and fate, really. You know, a man probably would not have been a household name. He'd probably been just a bookmark in West Ham's history as a good striker, then became a legend of English football purely due to the coincidence or the, the terrible luck of Jimmy Greaves, you know, and what would have happened if Jimmy Greaves had played in that final? Would it have been another England loss? Would England have even reached that far? We don't know. It's an amazing thing to think of. Uh, and, and the fact that the backup striker got a hat-trick. I mean, would Jimmy Greaves have scored a double hat-trick if he was double the player of Jeff Earth? You know, Absolutely. it's, it's a, a silly question or almost for me to ask because we'll never know. But in other, you know, circles, it's a fascinating one to think about. Jeff Hurst, you know, he, he has this great, great history. But I do question sometimes is he is obviously in England great in terms of delivering England the World Cup. But his England career was only six 
short years. He scored 29 goals, I think, in total. And he was he was a, a fairly good player for West Ham. But apart from that, would he have been much more in terms of, of being an England star? It's, it's a fair question, I think, to ask. I don't want to insult Jeff Hurst, but I always think that his story, maybe, maybe overplayed is not the right word, but his story kind of rings through the ages maybe a bit more than other kind of England greats that I think aren't celebrated as much purely due to that World Cup winning performance. But then, in of itself, winning a World Cup through a hat-trick, single-handedly, you know, helping yeah. to, to deliver And, of course, it. setting up, really, the, the fourth goal in the match, being instrumental in all four goals. Um, you know what, as you say, 49 caps, 24 goals for England, so almost a goal every other game, which is a pretty strong return. And he had that kind of one-and-two ratio in his career, really, his total league appearances, which, as I say, as well as largely appearing as a West Ham legend, also included 10 years at Stoke City, a bit of a loan spell out in South Africa, Cape Town City, then ended up at West Brom before moving on to Cork in Ireland just briefly and ending up in Seattle Sounders in the States. But overall, 561 appearances with 228 goals, league goals, this is. So, again, it is a really pushing one and two goals per game ratio, which is really world-class. I know these days the likes of Messi and Ronaldo and even uh, Ibrahimovic, for instance, have kind of pushed that uh, goals per game ratio into stratospheric levels. But for me, I always look to that one and two as a pretty good barometer for a, a, a top-class striker. And there's no doubt about it, he was a top-class striker. And again, of course, he got that FA Cup and then followed it up the years later uh, with the European Cup Winners' Cup with West Ham. So he's, for all time, will be an, a West Ham legend. Jason, I take your point, but ultimately, he is, that is, let's not forget, we've spoken about it many times and, you know, I'm not going to even begin tonight to question why it is the case we've only got one major trophy in the Footballing International Cabinet. But it is the case we've only got one, right? And Hurst Hattrick creating the other one. Uh, and then, as you say, to seize the day, to have the strength of character, to replace that iconic Jimmy Greaves, who, you know, again, younger viewers, I'm not over-egging it here to say that Jimmy Greaves would have been essentially the Ronaldo, the Lionel Messi of his era in terms of, you know, prolific goals per game ratio again way in but in excess of that uh, one in every other game uh, strike rate both for club spurs uh, uh, before that chelsea and of course at international level so for hurst to step into those huge shoes and not only step into them but become the man i just think is a real credit to him and if and only if it was just that alone that he had on his resume, then he must justify himself as one of the finest uh, footballers from this country. But the beauty of this conversation, Jason, is we're talking favourites here, not necessarily best. And I think there could be no questions about it. Whilst I never saw him live up close and in person, it is no question about it. Jeff Hurst, Sir Jeff Hurst. One of my all-time favourite England footballers. But 
it's your show, every bit as much as it is ours. So, what do you agree? Is Jeff Hurst, Sir Jeff Hurst, one of your favourite England footballers because of those World Cup heroics? Or maybe do you feel as though overall there are other players that deserve more of a um, more of a shining light being uh, shone upon them? I'd love to hear from you. Get involved. Tweet at Verum Sport. Email us to sport at radioverulam.com. As we approach the final six or seven minutes of this evening's sportcast, we're here till seven. Just a reminder, after we go off the air, there's a wonderful hour of eclectic music for you to enjoy. Truly, there will be something for everybody. Then stick to 92.6 FM because the coolest man on Radio Verum, Dave Ellis, will be taking you through everything you need to know from the world of soul, blues and R&B with the Soul Show 8 through 10 that is the Godfather, the one of the hardest working men here on Radio Verum. Derek Staines, Saturday late date, keeping you informed with all the gig guides, uh, some wonderful banter, as is his gift. And of course, with Derek, you're guaranteed some fantastic tunes as well. Make sure you stick to 92.6 FM. Make sure you stick with us, though, for the final five minutes of tonight's sportcast. And I'm going to throw back to the machine, Jason McKenna, for your final uh, favourite England player. Yes, and for those listening, you know, five minutes probably won't be enough to see through this. So you can stay tuned and listen to the Verulam Sport Sportcast, uh, which is the full one, the extended one, XL, if you will, in terms of it, on the Radio Verulam website. And we do have the other England chats on there as well, our what we'd call best England 11s, where we make some controversial decisions. I think one of mine was definitely debated about quite a bit but some other great England topics as well England why have they failed you know there's a lot of great free lines content on there to fill your international break with but I don't know if I mentioned it a little bit earlier but I'm going with what I feel are the safest hands England have ever had but maybe some people disagree maybe that World Cup winner uh, would you know uh, jump ahead of him but I'm going with David Seaman I think he's possibly the greatest England have had and subsequently since we've seen how good he is with the long list of failures in terms of those between the posts and just you know maybe I've got a bit of bias here but he's also an Arsenal club legend maybe I just had to put an Arsenal club legend in but he's a, he is a true legend of English football the man himself you know his nickname is safe hands that's how yeah. good he was in terms of it and I think his record speaks for itself as well 1988 to 2002 survived five different England managers he was one of the best out there and I think you know the games where I used to see him line up for England and also for Arsenal you felt we could do this today you know there's many incidences where you'd question the tactics of England whether they'd be good enough to get the goals but you'd always think yeah well Dave will keep us in this match. You know, he was one of those those goalkeepers where you think, well, we might not be the best team out there, but by God, we've got the best goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. And he will definitely kind of maybe see some assurances over the line there. So, you know, that's why he has to be in there. And just maybe a final note before we pass over to the Verulam Sport XL here. And you can hear what Tony's next decision of his favourite England player is but also why I've picked David Seaman 
for me as well, Seaman made his England debut, as I said, in 1988. But then, for the England side, he had 15 consecutive years, which was a national record and was equalled by Rio Ferdinand a little bit later. And also, I do have to say, Rio Ferdinand was my third favourite shout, which yeah. again, as an Arsenal fan, is a strange one. But I think that Man United there, in terms of Beckham and Ferdinand, have produced some of the finest footballers of a few generations for mm-hmm. England there. But I'll wrap it up there, Tony, because I think that teases, whets the appetite there of some people for this wonderful international break period for some content there. And Tony, do you have any more news to deliver for the people, some information about Verulam Sport? Yeah, fabulous stuff, Jason. Appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to look forward to continuing this on in our extended podcast version and also provide my second and final selection in our favourite England players uh, conversation. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation. And next week, it will be back to uh, De Rigor Standard, where it's your show. Of course it is. And we encourage you to uh, get involved and you will be able to choose your next three weeks sportscast debates. Uh, so check out as closely on uh, social media to uh, get involved and cast your votes. Remember, this is your show every single bit as much as it is ours. Um, for tonight, it's been a real pleasure to enjoy your company. Make sure you stay tuned to 92.6 FM, where from 7 till 8, there will be some wonderful, eclectic and uh, powerful music. Something for everybody from 7 through 8 on the music mega mix. Then it's the mega star, the coolest man on Radio Verulam, perhaps, Dave Ellis, the soul man, whose soul show is superb. Everything you need from the world of soul, blues, and R&B. Dave Ellis is keeping you in the soul groove with the soul show, 8 through 10. After which, it's my friend and uh, one of the legends here, the godfather, Derek Staines, and his Saturday late date. Make sure you keep a date to stick tuned to 92.6 FM or wherever you are listening uh, throughout planet Earth on your smart devices and across the Internet. Make sure you get in your diaries a date to be back with us on Sportscast 6 through 7 next Saturday. And of course, do check us out across social media and on the podcasting tab of the Radio Verulam website, where there will be a whole array of fantastic content, not least of which are one 100th podcast episode which should be available for you now anyway have yourself a jolly good rest of your evening keep well keep safe thank you for listening